Appropriate Use of Personal Protective Equipment, a conversation with Cindy Wandling. This discussion included a visual PowerPoint presentation and online website demonstration. To view a video recording, visit the link in the description of this podcast. Good afternoon and welcome to our series of webinars focused on bringing you information about COVID-19 related topics. The information in these weekly webinars is geared toward long-term care and skilled nursing facilities, but we encourage everyone who's interested to attend. Today, we'll be discussing appropriate use of PPE under the current guidelines. My name is Kathy Caudill. I'm a communications specialist with Quality Insights, and now I'd like to introduce our guest, Cindy Wandling. Cindy began her nursing career in 1982 as a CNA at a long-term care psychiatric center. Since becoming a registered nurse, she has covered a multitude of specialties, but eventually returned to her first love, the long-term care population. She has served as Director of Nursing, Clinical Consultant, Director of Clinical Operations, and VP of Clinical Quality Operations. In recent years, her specialty has been regulatory compliance, overseeing 60 facilities covering six states. Cindy joined Quality Insights earlier this year, continuing her career-long goal to ensure long-term care populations receive the best possible care. Cindy, welcome back. Thank you, Kathy, um, for the introduction. And as Kathy said, you know, long-term care is my love. And I think one of the most important ways we can take care of our patients and our residents is through observing infection control practices. Today, we'll switch gears quite a bit. Um, we're going to do a brief overview of standard and tr transmission-based precautions, just simply because if you're like me, when COVID came along and we rapidly changed some of our practices, I wonder to myself, do I remember the basics? So I thought it would be a good idea that we touch base on and remind one another of what are standard precautions and what are transmission-based precautions and ask ourselves, are our staff still aware of those crucial precautions in their daily practice? Also, we always keep an eye on what's happening with COVID-19. We're gonna to touch base on prevention and therapeutic treatments. And then I want to briefly introduce Project First Line. So we appreciate you being here today. We're going to move on to standard precautions. Standard precautions are a set of practices that we apply giving care to all of our patients in all healthcare settings, um, regardless of their suspected or confirmed infectious state. It's really an assumption that we need to protect ourselves and protect our patients using the basic standard precautions. Um, they include a group of preventions, and those are the use of hand hygiene. And hand hygiene cannot be stressed enough in infection control, whether it's your alcohol-based product or it's your soap and water. Uh, the use of gloves, the gown, the mask, your eye protection or face shield, depending on the anticipated exposure, and safe injection practices. It's interesting standard precautions during patient care is determined by the nature of the healthcare personnel patient interaction and the extent of anticipated blood, body, fluid, or pathogen exposure. And examples given by the guidelines for infection prevention, which were updated in May of 22, um, were, for example, for performing a venipuncture, you may only need gloves. 
If you are in a situation where you are performing an intubation, which we do not do, or rarely I would think we would do, unless you're in a, in a ventilator building, the use of gloves, the gown, the face shield, and the goggles is necessary to protect both yourself and the patient. One thing my, my personal um, practice has taught me that you need to know the patient. And I think it's very important when we teach our frontline caregivers and we give them um, the appropriate PPE to wear in a room is every patient is different. You may have a likelihood where you can be splashed with one person and you may not be splashed with another, thinking changing foliage or even um, providing tube feeding. So those considerations when we post our signs and we talk to our staff about what needs to be applied to the patient as far as standard precautions are concerned. So education and training are crucial. And that's a big bullet point I wish I had put on here is know your patient. Know what that anticipated exposure may be at the time you apply your interventions for standard precautions. So I learned something. I don't know if I learned it or it was recall when I was researching for this PowerPoint that there, there are some new over the years. There are some new um, guidelines that were put into place and placed under standard precautions because we are all familiar with them, but they've always been practiced under the standard of care. And those will be one that I'm practicing now, which we all know our respiratory hygiene, our cough etiquette. Um, we knew it before COVID came along. We knew it when people ran around with the sniffles, the common cold, the congestion, a respiratory illness that maybe you can't put your finger on. And we're seeing more and more of those, even with COVID and the flu and things that they now swab for. I'm sure in your own communities, you've noticed that um, more and more of your, our emergency departments are full. The urgent cares are full. So cough etiquette and hand hygiene or, some, or respiratory hygiene, excuse me, are something we just can't forget about right now. And there are some reminders under respiratory hygiene and cough etiquette. We need to educate our facility staff, our patients, and our visitors as well. And in the seasonal or sometimes not seasonal um, areas or communities may be experiencing these signs and symptoms. Maybe there's a cluster. Maybe you've heard from your local health department. You want to go ahead and make sure that you have out what's needed for your respiratory hygiene, your, your tissue, your signs posted to explain to the public and our patients how to practice respiratory hygiene and cough etiquette. You'll notice at the bottom, spatial separation in respiratory hygiene is greater than three feet. We all know with COVID, we really like to hang back about six feet. One that was added also are safe injection practices. Now, studies were conducted after an outbreak of hepatitis B was identified uh, in a particular area in the country. And what they found is that the injection practices were not compliant with the standards of practice. So they placed that in standard precautions. Surprisingly, this is what happened. They found that the breaches were in um, reinsertion of used needles into multi-dose vials or solution containers. And also that the use of single needle or syringe were, were used to um, administer intravenous medications to multiple patients. And that really makes me cringe. And I'm sure it really makes you cringe too. But it reiterates the importance of what we for years considered to be a standard of practice really need to be hit uh, in our education and onboarding process in our centers to make sure that we're sure people don't follow these aberrant practices. 
I even added lumbar puncture. I doubt any of our centers perform lumbar punctures, but I will say as advocates for our patients, as advocates for our families and ourselves in healthcare, I think it's important that we know um, as group and healthcare providers that a face mask should be worn during an epidural and during any type of lumbar puncture. And that is now in the standard precaution guidelines. Switching gears, transmission-based precautions, practices, and PPEs. We always start first in all infection prevention practices, washing our hands. We always apply standard precautions. Transmission-based precautions are practiced when we know and there's documented or suspected diagnosis of infectious um, materials. The person has an actual infection or is suspected to have an actual infection. And we use standard, and there's three different categories that you add, contact, droplet, and airborne. So they're implemented, standard-based precautions are implemented when patients, or excuse me, um, are used when routes of transmission are not completely interrupted during standard precautions. This can be in the interest of, this can be, uh, for an example, would be SARS, and you implement your transmission-based precautions. When used either singularly in combination, they're always combined with standard. And I should have put, I wish we could see everybody on here and I keep looking at my pictures. So I apologize. I like to see, I can see the panelists here, but um, the Appendix A that we're also familiar with, the CDC Appendix A, um, it's fun, but that is actually the reference for when to apply what particular standard-based precaution goes with what infectious process. And it's really important, and I'm sure all the nurses on here are familiar with it, but reference that when you're considering what additional practices and precautions to put into place. So contact precautions we're really familiar with, and the first thing that comes to mind is, uh, in my mind, is, is C. diff. We know that if someone is diagnosed with C. difficile, we add the gowns and the gloves for all contact with that person and that person's environment. Donning and doffing, um, donning PPE upon entering the room and discarding appropriately before exiting the room are important in contact precautions. And you'll notice a couple of times in this presentation, I say, know your facility's policy and procedure. And there's a reason for that. And I'll share that reason when we get to the overview of COVID. So droplet precautions. Droplet precautions require a mask not an N95. Again, in this day and age of COVID, um, we need to make sure what is our facility policy and that we post appropriately at the door the precautions to be used. We know that when we have COVID in a center, we use N95s. That's not considered to be droplet precautions. <clears throat> That's actually airborne precautions. So keep that in mind again with education with our staff. Airborne precautions uh, prevent the transmission of infectious agents that remain infectious over longer distances, greater than the three foot. We know the six foot when we practice in COVID. Um, they're preferred for patients who are in airborne, excuse me, their preferred placement for patients who are in airborne precautions is in airborne infection isolation rooms. We know that we don't have those in our centers and we've adapted accordingly when we care for the COVID patient. 
In settings where it's not possible to have airborne precautions and they can't be implemented, we do know, and this is source control that we deal with with COVID, is we mask the patient as well when appropriate. They're placed in a private room with the door closed. Um, provide the patient at N95 mask or higher level. Now, keep in mind, airborne came about long before COVID. And usually we think about the positive TB that intermittently pops up in a center um, after admission. We find out they're positive. And you take these steps in your healthcare setting to protect yourself, your staff, and other patients while you make appropriate um, plans for that particular patient. One thing that's really important with airborne precautions at any time we utilize uh, an N95 mask, that mask is donned prior to entering a specific room. There are also OSHA requirements and standards. This is something that can easily fall through the crack when the manufacturer of the N95 changes uh, from your suppliers. We need to remember there always has to be for that N95, a medical evaluation, a fit testing, a training, and other elements that you can find in OSHA's respiratory protection standard. So every center should have that policy in place to make sure that we're fitted appropriately with those N95 masks. So when to change your N95? <clears throat> we'll come again to the statement, know your facility policy. N95s are meant to be disposed of after each use. According to the CDC, there are circumstances where the N95 can be removed before leaving the room or after leaving the room. And the link is here um, to an actual CDC demonstration of donning and doffing the PPE. Frequently questions are asked about wearing the same N95 mask from one room to the next. When we talk about COVID, we'll talk about that practice and how important it is to, to know what the CDC says and to follow your facility's policy. We do know that CDC actually um, provided strategies for optimizing when there was a shortage. To my knowledge, um, there is no longer a shortage of approved N95 masks. So we need to keep that under consideration. Those were the days when we were fortunate to have surgical masks or um, the KN95 from other countries that were not FDA or OSHA approved. So keeping our eyes on COVID, when we talk about PPE practices, your facility may still have that internal red zone where you house only and only positive patients in an area that is zoned out to the rest of your center. Your staff doesn't go from one area to another. It's completely contained in that area. I say know your center's policies. They could have changed with all the changes in CDC um, recommendations that have been made in the last two years. You want to know what does your policy say for that red zone. Keep in mind that even if all of your Patients who are COVID positive are held in a red zone, placed in a red zone, you still have to practice the appropriate PPE for each patient. So if I am across the room from Kathy, I'm going to use you, Kathy, I can see your picture, uh, across the room from Kathy, and Kathy has 
COVID and nothing else to be concerned about, you may be able to go from my room to Kathy's room with the same N95. But if I have the flu and COVID, you must change out your PPE as you would any place else in your facility. I mean, replacing it all. Um, if your residents are maintained in place, the practice is too single-use PPE. That's the safe way to do it. So with all that, and COVID has been probably the most confusing um, infectious disease um, I've dealt with in my professional career. And I think we could all shake our head yes, that anyone that's been in it for a period of time. But as always, implementing the appropriate infection prevention practices that pre prevent the spread of an infectious disease should be everybody's priority every day when they walk into a center in particular. Prevention is always the best medicine. So when we talk about the medicine, we know that every center is challenged with COVID fatigue. Um, I don't want one more shot. But we also know and studies have shown us that being vaccinated and being boosted significantly decrease the severity of COVID-19. And that is what we all want to see for our patients. You know, they may not spurt COVID-19 forever, but by obtaining the bivalent booster, which is now the most recent booster, we know that we've protected them to the extent possible and reduced the opportunity for harm for that patient. And that, that can't be stressed enough. Um, so please, please, please reach out to us if you're out of ideas, reach out to your um, quality uh, improvement specialist. If you're out of ideas, we discuss it frequently. Don't necessarily have all the answers, but we try really hard to look for best practices. If you have a high vaccination rate, up-to-date bivalent boosters in your center, reach out to us and share what practice you have in place so we can share with other centers in the state. How did you get there? It's a real challenge. So while we consider how we, we want to prevent it and provide the best care possible, we also want to consider how do we treat people therapeutic in a timely manner. And you'll notice that this is a screenshot and it's a screenshot for a reason. Um, we don't know tomorrow if a new therapeutic treatment will come out. However, at the bottom of this um, page, you will see what are the possible treatment options. It came from the Administ Administration for Strategic Preparedness and Response and it is updated in a timely manner. So it will be in this resource for you to reference. So Project First Line. Project First Line is really interesting. If you've not gone to the Project First Line site on the CDC, each state health department has a Project First Line program. And the intent of Project First Line is to be innovative and accessible to educate infection, educate our frontline employees and healthcare workers. Um, to infection control practices. It's COVID, it's non-COVID. Uh, there's short snippets, they're easy to access, and they're intended to be used in day-to-day -day operations. Um, and we're gonna actually demo one here shortly. 
but it offers a variety of infection control education programs from a high level overview to a, um, for someone like me, tell me what I need to do and do it, tell me in 10 minutes what I need to do. So um, it takes both approaches to that. I think you'll enjoy the, the overview we'll do here shortly. This is just a simple overview of um, using the right PPE at the right time. In this, you'll note that Pennsylvania Project First Line, West Virginia, and the CDC, all of those sites are the same. They may look a little bit differently, but the education is the same. And all of the resources for the presentation are in place here. Cindy, I'd like to thank you for joining us again. And I'd like to thank everyone here for joining us again. And I hope you all can join us again next week. Thanks, Kath.